Hey, this is J.B. Clark with uh, Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. And when I'm not talking about Bruce Springsteen songs in alphabetical order, I'm usually listening to Set Lusting Bruce, uh, Jesse Jackson's wonderful podcast here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is an episode that is proof of the magic and the power of Bruce Springsteen's music. And I am absolutely thrilled to be sharing Adam and Jamie's story. So, Joining me today is Jamie. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Good, thank you. So why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, well, we've just kind of introduced ourselves internationally, I guess, um, in that we shared Adam's story about his love for Bruce Springsteen over the weekend. Um, so we did that in Australia, but we ended up getting messages of support from all around the world, which has been really quite overwhelming but but in the loveliest way possible um so we we're just trying to i guess i would like people to know about adam's story um and how bruce has helped him uh because i think it's really important that we understand that music is a powerful tool for for all parts of our life um not just enjoyment and entertainment but also for learning and and finding our own place in the world as well you know one of the th i totally agree jamie and one of the things that concerns me is um arts and funding for arts and music and often schools um in the united states and other places you know are on the first on the chopping block and that's just a shame because, you know, there are there's so much we can learn from that and so much that, you know, feeds our soul. So I, I am glad you're here sharing us and, uh, and we're going to get to Adam's story and your story. But I, I just wanted a little bit start out with like growing up, what kind of music did you listen to? Was your family? Uh, were you a big music fan, you know, with when you were a kid? And what kind of music did you like in high school? Oh, absolutely. Um, my dad is a muso himself. So we grew up with um, him always having his guitars and microphones set up. Um, and he had, in his youth, uh, played bands uh, in and around the town that we lived in. Um, so music was always a big part of our life growing up. Um, probably it was, it was always rock music, um, of some description. And I think some of the earliest music that I can remember, um, was the, the Bob Seger, Bob Dylan, um, you know, the, the really old nowadays old, but you know, not so much then, but, um, it, I, it was always, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you when you say old, it's, it's just, it's, it's very, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> 
So, yeah, we always had that and we we always, Dad always gave us free reign to, to go through his cassette tapes or his records. Um, so we we were always very involved in music. Um, I'm one of, of um, four girls in our family and I think probably fair to say two of my sisters went down the, the road of pop music and dance music and two of us stuck with rock and and still have to this day. Um, so, Jamie, where are you in the um, youngest, oldest, middle? Second eldest. Okay, second um, oldest. Okay. Yeah. So, and, you go, sorry. No, I'm. that's fine. I just am curious, is it? Um, rock, rock, pop, 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 rock. I just was curious oh, on the. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. So my eldest sister is definitely dance music, um, okay. which we not none of us have much tolerance for. To be fair, because it's kind of difficult to listen to. Um, I'm rock. Next sister down is pop, and the youngest is rock as well. Okay, so you you got you you're able to at least influence one sister yeah, as the exactly. big sister. How very funny. Um, so when when did you discover Bruce? Uh, was very early days. It was um, I, I can remember Dad always having the Born in the USA record, so we would put that on, and that was a and every Christmas that one that one record got a run through. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that being a mainstay uh, of what we all listened to. Um, and I, I guess that, that stuck with me a lot. There was a lot of music then that I guess as a kid I didn't understand the songs themselves. It was just the music and it sounded cool and it was easy to listen to. Um, and it was only as I got to maybe my, my mid to late teens that the, the lyrics of Bruce's music resonated and I understood what the songs were about and that was when I started to delve a little bit more into the back catalogue and and see what else was out there of Bruce's um and that was something that has been a constant um I moved from from high school age I moved straight into a job in radio which was the the best possible path I could have gone down um, and having free run at, at a music room inside a station was just the coolest thing ever um, and and so being able to then go and have a look at at Bruce's music um, bearing in mind the internet was not um, not even really around back then so any information that you wanted to find out you know you had to go and dig a little deeper and understand so that was kind of where I got my feet into um, understanding where Bruce came from with his music. You know I totally understand that um, the you know when one of my earliest memories, and I've shared this before, is my grandmother um, worked, managed a post exchange, which was um, um, a a kind of general, um, like a Target or a, you know a general store on an army base, and they called it the PX, and you could go there to get some, you know, you know your drugs and you know prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs and shaving material and all this stuff on the army base and there was always a comic book um spindle rack 
And when I would go to visit my grandmother, she would bring me to work, and I was able to take all the comics I wanted um, off the spindle rack, bring them to the back. She ripped all the covers off so she could get credit and then, and then gave me the comics. And so um, I always joke that I think the um, – the statute of limitations is gone, so I don't think anyone's going to, um, you know, even when I was, my grandmother was still alive, no one was going to tell that story. But it, it is um, it, that that being in a candy store almost, right? The chance to see, yeah, um, yeah. Um, what were you doing? Did you always want to be involved in radio or um, entertainment or in communication? Uh, I, no, I actually started a nursing degree um, straight out of school and went to university. Um, and it was only once I got there that I realised that this was not the path that I wanted to go down. Um, so I ended up backing out of the degree after about eight months um, and instead kind of had that moment of what do I want to do? And I'm sure we've all had that moment um and it was just it was just a chance happening that i had seen in the newspaper that there was a job advertised at the radio station for a copywriter and at that point i didn't even know what a copywriter did but i applied anyway um and was able as part of the the interview process was to write an ad an advertisement a 30 second ad um and I kind of just fluked my way through. I've, I've always been good with words, which, which worked well for me um, in that particular interview. And that was the start that I got. Um, and in a small country radio station, you are never bound by one job. You're expected to go in and learn every facet of the station. Um, so it was probably within about six months that I started doing announcing on air, started scheduling ads, all of those kinds of things that... Um, that make a radio station and um, became a, a station all-rounder and then thought I would um, move on to, to a bigger station and, you know, see what else was out there. Um, but life took a different path at that point um, and I ended up moving uh, from Australia to New Zealand um, and it was when I got there that I had uh, had this accident that kind of, put me onto the path that I'm on today um, and and obviously brings Adam into the story as well. So that's a perfect segue. Um, so um, if I understand, you were um, – you were not expecting to become pregnant, correct? Based on the story, and and I, I've read the newspaper article, and so um, right, I think you've shared that this was this was really kind of a miracle that you were going to have a baby. Am I speaking out of turn, or? Oh, not at all. Uh, so what had happened was we'd actually been trying to fall pregnant for about 12 months um, and we went had all the testing done and and the. I guess the result that they came back with was that I had less than 5% chance of, of ever falling pregnant. So we kind of sat down and, and did a reassess at that point of if we're not going to have a family, which is something that we both wanted, if we're not going to be able to do that, what will we do instead? Um, and we were just in that process of trying to figure out what what would we do? You know, would we travel? Would we throw ourselves into career? Um, and we were just trying to figure that all out when um, I found out I was pregnant. So it came completely from left field. Um, and 
was also just, I guess, um, for me, it kind of shows that, that Adam was, was destined to make his way here against all odds. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And and that's so cool. Um, I don't know if... Um, in earlier this year, um, I had an episode um, where um, the parent of a premature baby, Juniper, uh, was on the show. And um, if you haven't listened to the episode, I think you should because there is a little bit of similarity. Um, just in summary, she was born so small and she was one day away from being the minimum amount of weeks you should have to have oh. a fair to have a chance and yeah. she was born one day early and oh. they were really worried and um the dad told the story that he was this was a second marriage for him and he didn't want a child and they ended up compromising that he was going to have that and he he read once this little girl was there and um, he put his little finger in the incubator through a glove, and the baby grabbed his finger and grabbed oh. it, and he says, okay, I've got a fighter. So he played yeah. Bruce Springsteen music, 
and he read Harry Potter music, Harry Potter books to them. Oh, wow. And um, here's this will make you cry because it makes me cry every time. <laughs> J.K. Rollins found out about this and um, reached out through connections. And one day they uh, Juniper came home uh, from school and she's this energetic, wonderful young girl. And um, J.K. Rollins had sent a whole set of books and she had autographed it to oh. Juniper the girl who lived. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, for, you know, Harry Potter fans, the boy who lived is just yeah. iconic. And to have that was pretty amazing. So, you know, I'm telling you, there's something about the power of music and, and not just Bruce, though I'm a little biased, but <laughs> there it's something there. So you find out it's a miracle. You're pregnant. Uh, yep. You guys are ecstatic, I'm sure. We were, yes, yep. And so um, then something horrible happened, correct? Yeah. So I was still working um, because obviously it was only early days. Yeah. Um, and I was about 10 weeks pregnant and I had woken up and decided, oh, just I can't go to work today. I'm too tired. And, and I was having morning sickness from the minute I woke up until about five o'clock in the afternoon. And I thought I can't do another day of this. You know, it was a, a huge commute in and out of, to the city to get to work. And once I got to the city, I still had to walk to work on top of that. And, and I decided... I can't do this today just to have a day off. But it was a new job and I'd, I'd not long started. And I thought, no, best put my shoes on, get going, go to work and got into the city. And it was a really unusual day because everything seemed to be going in slow motion around me. And I remember having this distinct feeling driving on the, uh, on the bus into the city, feeling just like everything was about half a second behind and I was seeing it happen before it happened. Mm. And it was the most bizarre feeling and I've never had it again. And I got off the bus and crossed um it's the the major intersection from the uh, motorway into the city of Auckland um and got out crossed the road with a bunch of probably about 10 or 15 other people um and just heard people starting to scream and I thought I, I wonder what what's going on and I kind of turned around to look and as I turned to look, I saw the car coming straight for me. Um, and it was one of those split seconds decisions where I was standing there and, and could, you know, could see the look of shock and horror on the driver's face and his wife who was sitting in the front seat with him and realized that I couldn't move in time. There was nowhere to go. Um, and so hit the car or the car hit me, I should say. Um, and then hit the road and kind of just lied there and prayed that the car wasn't going to then run over me um, and that he was going to be able to stop, um, given how much room, uh, how much further I'd been thrown back. I kind of figured I had a little bit of, of um, space uh, for him to break, and he was able to break in time, which was good. And um, it kind of just all went downhill from there. You know, I was lying on the road and... I somehow, and I'd never had a broken bone or stitches or anything prior to this, um, and I knew straight away that both my legs were broken. Um, mm. And 
um, one of the people who was on the road came over and offered uh, their phone to me so that I could ring my husband. And the only thing I said to him was, I've been hit by a car and both my legs are broken. And he kind of went, as you would expect, what the hell's going on? Um, so he's gone to get into the car and realised that my car was still parked there. So he, he had a shocking time not knowing what was going on. Um, and it was only until we got to the hospital that, um, or when he got to the hospital, that we kind of knew that it was serious. Um, but unfortunately, because I was pregnant at the time, they weren't able to do surgery straight away. So it was four days uh, with both legs broken um, mm. because I could do the surgery. And in that time, because of the pregnancy, there was no pain relief. So normally you'd be quite well looked after. Sure. With pain relief, but it was one milligram of morphine twice a day. Um, and mm. to say it was excruciating is probably an understatement. I, I um, can I can imagine, Jamie, because, you know, the it's got to be scary. Um, I know you're worried about your baby. I know you're in pain. You're worried about, you know, um, am I going to walk again? And yeah. that and there's just in your mind – there's all these things I imagine that, you know, um, there's they say monsters live in the dark, right? Not knowing is a lot of times what's so scary. So I can imagine you're just sitting there um, feeling overwhelmed, reaching out to, you know, whatever greater power you believe in going, oh, man, just just please make sure I'm OK and make sure the baby's OK. You're. Yeah, I. I feel sorry for you, but I also I feel for your husband. Um, he must have been just. I would know. I would feel powerless, and just it so. Was, yeah. Yeah. And it was just. It was the 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 irony of of life having just fallen into place, only yeah. to have it all. Down. And, and from I think from his perspective was just so hard to know what is the best way to support somebody through a situation that you don't actually have any understanding of because yeah. at that point we had no idea what was going to happen and on a daily basis we would say you know how is this affecting the baby and unfortunately the the answer from them was always a very um dismissive almost they didn't really care and and the baby was a you know, it was secondary to what they had to concentrate on, which was the actual broken bones. Um, so at one point when we said, how is this all going to wash out? What are we going to be left with? Is, is the baby going to be okay? Are we going to actually be able to keep the baby? Um, uh, they would just say, don't know. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see kind of thing. So that was – an you know, that was the remainder of the pregnancy was left in the lurch where we just didn't know. Um, and even following the surgeries, uh -huh. we didn't know. Um, so, it, Jamie, how far along were you when you were hit? I was 10 weeks. Okay. Um, so right at the peak of brain development, which is obviously where we're at with Adam now. Um, mm. So what was meant to happen was that the surgery was meant to be done under an epidural, um, in which case then the anaesthetic would not be transferred through to the baby. Right. Um, so, and, and that was a brilliant idea in theory. Um, 
in practice, they couldn't actually do it. Um, so it had been four and a half days, I think, that I'd been lying up in the bed with, with both legs broken. Mm. And they took me down to surgery and they said, we can't actually do the epidural. They, they just couldn't get it to work. And, and to do an epidural, you have to sit over the, the edge of the bed and let your legs uh, hang down. Right. And in that case, I couldn't do that either. So it wasn't, it wasn't possible to do it. Um, so they said to me, you've got the option to do the surgery under a general or you can wait till Monday and we'll try and figure out what else we can do. And at that point, I was past my ability to take any more pain. Oh, I, uh, I can imagine. So I decided to go with the general, um, which they assured me would all be fine. But in theory, you know, if, I, if we think about it now, and hindsight's always brilliant clarity, um, I was given enough general. It was meant to be a two-hour surgery. It ended up being six and a half hours. Um, and I was given enough general in that time to keep me under at 75 kilos and come what may for, for the baby. And, and obviously it was just too much. Um, and, and not to say that there was any wrongdoing on the part of the hospital, but one thing led to another, led to another. Um, so that was in effect at a time where a baby's brain development is at its peak, where all of the, the connections in the brain are being made. Um, his was switched off because of the general anaesthetic. Mm. Um, so it's just... When we came, I came out of that kind of, you know, and there had been mistakes made during during the surgery. So they had communicated back to the ward that don't worry about giving me any pain relief because I've got an epidural in place, so everything's fine. She won't need pain relief. So by the time I got back up there with no epidural and no pain relief, the pain was out of this world um, because I'd, I'd just had both legs and bone taken from my hip um, and one leg put back together and the other, my other leg was pinned back together um, all with no pain relief after surgery. So um, by the next morning, I'd lost my voice from crying all night with the pain and trying to get the nurses to come around. Um, and they, they were frustrated because they believed that something was in place and that I shouldn't need anything more. Um, but by the next morning, a, a new nurse had come on and she walked in and recognised that my body was shutting down from the shock of the pain. Mm. Um, and it was only then that they got an emergency doctor to come up and administer um, morphine pain relief because I'd effectively just come out of six and a half hours of having my legs put back together um, and pinned and plated with no pain relief. Um, so in that time that my body had gone into shock, that also had a, a side effect for Adam as well because of the trauma. It, I, I can only imagine, you know, you're, you're, you know, like how much more do we have to do and just to be so upset and so much pain and trying to get through this. Um, how was your recovery to once the, once they did get the surgery done? Um, it was very slow. It was, um, three months in a wheelchair, um, and then we were sent. We were sent home. I had a month in hospital in total um, after the surgery, and we were sent home with a wheelchair and kind of good luck. Um, mm. So we went home and, and 
did the best we could um, and then went in for an appointment and they said, you should be fine to stand up. You can start weight-bearing through your right leg but not your left because the leg had been the one to hit the car. So it's been rebuilt from my knee down to mid-shin. Mm. So there's a lot more work done to that leg. So they said, no, can't weight-bear on that one, but you can on your other leg. So and, and handed us a pair of crutches. So I remember we got home and I stood up and realised that I actually just didn't know how to take a step. Um, and that was when we realised that the the recovery period was going to be a lot tougher um, and that I would have to learn to walk again. So I did learn to walk again at just on six months pregnant. I learned to walk again and did a lot of physio to learn again. Wow. So... I just I'm trying to picture in my mind, Jamie, you know, the pain and rehab um, pregnant anyway gives your body a lot of different changes and and you're uncomfortable. Right. As you've you've got this this young person growing inside you. Um, so um, it, it it is just a horroring story and um and they they never told you one way or another um with your child of what to expect or not they just said they don't know correct they they did not know right through to um i found out once i started walking again as soon as i started walking again um and obviously a lot heavier because i was pregnant um my center of gravity had shifted quite dramatically because of the pregnancy so by the time i stood up and started walking again it then became excruciating pain again and we didn't know why but what had effectively happened was when they pinned my ankle back together um Mm -hmm pinned the bones back together they hadn't actually pinned it um they hadn't pinned it far enough down so they hadn't put the pin in far enough so what happened as soon as I started walking was that that pin started to back out of the bone and it eventually um cut all of the cartilage in between my ankle and my leg bone so they wanted to do another surgery while I was pregnant, um, which I declined because I just couldn't run the risk of another surgery while yeah. I was pregnant. Um, so I ended up being put, I, I think I walked for maybe about a month um, and then I got put on full bed rest again mm. for the rest of the pregnancy um, and because of the screw but also because of problems with the pregnancy. Um, and so now my foot is in a position where there is no cartilage between my ankle and my leg. So it's bone on bone, which some days is fine. Other days it feels like gravel rubbing together. And if you can imagine your bones touching, it's not a pleasant feeling at all. It's oh, I, phys- I, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So that was, you know, we kind of thought we were past the hard stuff. But then yeah. when Adam was born, it was apparent very quickly that he – um, I had used morphine very sparingly through the pregnancy mm-hmm. while I was in hospital uh, and then during the physio again. Um, and I'd used probably a quarter of the dose that they had suggested and they right. had hoped, fingers crossed, that this wouldn't affect the baby. Um, so I used about a quarter of that and quite often would just forego the pain, the, the morphine, because there was so many unanswered questions about using it. Um, but when he was born, he screamed for the first 
probably the first week um, and we took him back to the hospital and said something's not right and they said yep it's morphine withdrawals mm. um, so he had that to fight with I think fight is a fair word it was really difficult for yeah. him um, and for the first nine months he didn't sleep at all and the only way that we could get him to sleep was if I was holding him and I would literally have to hold his arms and his legs down um, because he would have such jarring movements which was the the withdrawals as well as just other neurological stuff that was not quite wired right in his body um, so we kind of we knew straight away that there had been an effect um, but we didn't know the severity of the effect until probably his second birthday and it was at that point that he wasn't speaking um, that he would communicate in grunts um, so if he needed a drink, it was a grunt, and we would kind of know that that noise meant drink, um, and we would know that another noise meant he was hungry. And so we were communicating through grunts, and we kind of, being our first baby, we kind of sat down and went, something's not right. Right. Um, but we didn't we didn't know what it was at that point. But you know, as we sit back now and look at it, that was that he his comprehension is so diminished. Mm -hmm. um, compared to a normal person, a normal child at that age. And he had no speech and no method of communicating. Um, and the frustration for him was, was probably the most difficult part because as a parent, you feel like you should understand what your child is wanting or what they need. And we were all, you know, it was the blind leading the blind for, for sure. quite a long time. Um, and it, it was that frustration you, at the age of four um, that we were still communicating with Adam through grunts um, and we would say to him, is it this? Do you want this or do you want that? Yeah. And we would get it wrong because how can you know? Um, mm -hmm. And he would just walk away and he would go and sit in his room and just nothing. It, he was switched off and, you know, mm. we felt like we were majorly letting him down because we just didn't understand. Um, and it was one of these days where I put him in the car and I thought, I just need to go and listen to some music. And music's always been my fallback. Right. So, you know, when you're, when you're overwhelmed or when you're in any kind of emotional state, we'll normally put music on. So I thought I'll do the same thing and I'll take him for a drive and hopefully he'll go to sleep in the car as well and, you know, two birds with one stone kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I was going to ask about that because we certainly did, um, you know, that uh, my son Chris, you know, we'd, okay, let's put him in the, you know, let's put him in the car. Let's, you know, I would rock him. Um, yes. You know, we um, we joked. Um, it they had talked about that a lot of times um, a like they told the story that children will know things in the womb. And, you know, they told a story about a a someone who was a pilot of a small, you know, prop plane. The child would get happy in front of a fan because of the propeller and similar. And. Uh, we joked that um, Chris would get calm when Linda vacuumed because she her nesting phase was just nest, you know, cleaning a lot. And right. so, you know, um, so I, I just I, I, and 
I've read your story, so I can just imagine you've reached the point where you you want to scream. You don't want to take anything out against your husband or Adam, but you just I need to get out, and so I'll take him in the car. I'm just gonna just drive and and just listen to music and lose myself um, yeah. in there. So right. That that was where we were at. So we I'd also been up to that point just doing some research because we've we've never been able to get any help with Adam at all. Though right. so, whereas a lot of people have access to speech therapy or occupational therapy or whatever that is, we've been declined by so many people who just look at him as such a complex case and they. It's just too much. Um, right. So anything that we've achieved with Adam, we've achieved because we've found different ways or different methods to get to a point, uh, to get him to a point where he's comfortable with it. Um, so I had done a lot of research on stroke patients and how they how they try and get uh, stroke patients to speak again after okay. a stroke. Um, and what I learnt was that they use singing. So mm-hmm. once once somebody's brain has been affected in some way, um, to be able just to turn that uh, the tap on to, to speak again is just not as easy as for anyone else. But singing uses a different part of the brain and it's not right. quite as difficult. So we had started with the, just trying to get him to sing things and we would put nursery rhymes and, you know, the really simple things that we just kind of thought would strike a chord with him because most kids it would. Um and we had listened to the Wiggles, and uh, to the point where we were we were so over it. Yeah, um, exactly. Adam would look at it, and and he could care less, and and that's no reflection on the Wiggles, just Adam. Right. Um, because our, our other two kids have loved it, but Adam was just didn't interest him, so it didn't happen. And so this afternoon that I'd put him in the car, and I thought I'll just pop Bruce on because it was you know my go-to when things were were not good and I popped the the CD on in the car and we were running through uh ran through a couple of songs and we got to No Surrender and I was kind of singing along and I looked in the back and Adam just had this this moment that I caught and I just I feel really lucky to have caught the moment where I could see him kind of go okay hang on this is interesting and I thought to myself if he's interested Let's just pop this on repeat. Let's see if the second or the third playing of this song does something, if it gets that response that we're after, because we just we just needed something that he was into. And by about the third or the fourth repeat of the song, he started to bop his head. And I kind of just went, okay, hang on, we've got a breakthrough, because that was the first time he'd shown interest in anything at all. Um, so that was that song and, and we went home and I pulled out every Springsteen thing that I owned. And I think we even went to the shops the next day and grabbed a couple of other CDs. Um, and we just played them. And it was from there that we had massive wins with him where, um, he, the speech took a, a little while to come, but he would stand in front of the DVD if we put a DVD on and he would just mimic the noises and he, he couldn't say the words, but he could mimic the sound. And anyone who's, who's struggled through speech problems knows that 
once you start making those sounds and you're moving your mouth and your mouth and your tongue muscles in a certain way, it opens the pathways up for speech. Right. Um, that was where it started. And so that was all that. That was all that got played in the house was Springsteen for probably a year solid. Um, and after that, then he started looking at other music and we were, we were more than happy to try and, you know, what else can we work on here? Right. Um, so we got him into the Stones, which he loves, absolutely loves. Um, got him into some Bob Dylan, um, you know, the, the, the classics. Sure. Um, but he always came back to Springsteen. And, you know, given a choice, it was always a Springsteen song or that's, a DVD or that went on. That's that's wonderful. So um, I can only imagine the the ray of hope and you're going, you know, if, if I could just give him, you know, I originally, I would go, if I can just give him some joy, you know, yeah. I would be happy with that. But then how did and i don't want to get too technical but how did listening to the music help him start to to communicate to to be able to speak um so it was it was repetition um okay. and it was those really and it seems maybe not significant but it, it really was in the found setting up the foundations of what was needed yeah. it was the making the noises and mimicking the sounds. And from there, he started picking up some, you know, plastic guitar. And I think at one point he picked up a little plastic golf club and used it like a guitar. And so all of a sudden then we were starting to get the, the physio and the OT side of things looked after because right. then we're starting to develop gross and fine motor skills because this was something he would never have done before. Um, and he used to just sit quite literally in the middle of the floor and you would try to play a game with him and he had absolutely no muscle tone. He couldn't throw or catch a ball. There was, there was absolutely nothing there. Um, so slowly as he started picking up the plastic guitar and he started just playing along, just pretending, um, those things started to, to build up obviously the speech and the, the fine and the, the gross motor skills, which was great. But more than that was the confidence that he got after that because he would sing and play the guitar and, and he would do a whole song for us. And we would all sit there and clap and go, you did amazing. You know, Bruce would be so proud if he saw that. And from that, the confidence that he'd never, ever had started to grow. And we started to get some, I guess, some emotional wins because he started right. to feel good about himself and and we do and I know that this probably sounds quite cliche but we do really owe that to Bruce because yeah. that was what started it well um, and, and Jamie you know it's a cliche but it's true nothing breeds success like success right and that's yes. positive motivation and and I can only imagine now how old is Adam at this t not today but like when you first he started listening to Bruce and it making a connection so that was between the age of ages of about four. Okay. Uh, and by the time that he was actually comfortable enough to do the the little performances of a song, was probably about six or seven. Okay. Um, so at seven years old, he still had no um, no speech per se. Um, so it was it was more than grunts though. He was making words. Mm -hmm. um, 
but if you weren't family, you would not be able to understand him. Right. Uh, and so that was that coincided with the start of kindergarten, um, and obviously going to school with um, with with major intellectual delays. But on top of that, having to wear a very visible disability like a lack of speech, um, yes. that was bullying started. And it was quite literally day one of kindergarten that the bullying started. Mm. And it it progressed until we took him out of school in April last year. And it was just the extent and the type of bullying that changed. Um, so, and, yeah. Because I, I read that you um... – you just, you know, you decided to, um, you've always been a full-time mom, but to actually focus on, okay, I, I'm not going to work outside the home. I'm going to take care of Adam. Um, you, you mentioned, does Adam has siblings, correct? Yes. So younger brother and sister. Okay. And, uh, do you homeschool them as well or they, they go to school? go to school so it was um yeah in april last year that i decided that i would leave my job and concentrate on homeschool because the bullying was so intense and and it was it was just and i know this probably not a a a hard enough word but it was just so unkind it was just the the most despicable form of bullying that i'd seen um and and to pick on somebody and to taunt somebody um, about the things that they can't do easily. Uh, and, and I know the old adage that it, it, it reflects more on the bullier than the bullied. But, um, yeah, it, it was just so mean and yeah. and it was being done in front of us. And, and the, the point we got to where the decision was made that I was leaving work and that I would take him out of school and homeschool him was when a group of about 10 to 12 boys actually bullied him to his face while I was standing next to him. And Mm. at that point, I thought, if he's not safe standing next to me at school, what's happening when I'm not here? Oh, I I totally agree, Jamie. Um, Does – so Adam feels that pain, though. I mean, he he understands that it's being – and as your words, unkind, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it took him a little while to, and and this is owing, I guess, to to the intellectual delays. Yeah. Uh, it, he kind of just took it in his stride and went, oh no, 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 they're just talking, and we had to, and this is the heartbreaking part of being a parent, is actually taking your kid aside and going, no, they're actually picking on you. Yeah. They're saying this because they want to hurt your feelings Mm. um and that that was the really difficult part for him because then it dawned on him um and as a result then he looked at all communication that was was being made with him and he was uncertain where to put that and Mm. um you know it's difficult to this day even at 13 years old people outside of the outside of our family have a very difficult time understanding adam and what he's saying so for a 13-year-old boy to have your mum having to translate for you if you sure. want something or if you want to be heard or worse still, having your little sister doing it for you because we're very used to the um, 
the the sounds that Adam makes and mm-hmm. they're very eclectic sounds so you do, you don't hear it and and straight away identify it as being this word um so we've learned that over the years and for him we just and the, the beauty of of homeschooling him is that you know some of our lessons are just simply to go to the library and ask for a book about cars and him being able to have the confidence to stand there and say that, but also enough enunciation in his words to be understood. Um, so those are the challenges. And and I, I've got to be honest and say that Bruce is still a big part of that because a lot of what Adam does um, is listening to the words and understanding and being able to replicate those words. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's 13 and he can't read or write. Um and he's got very limited speech. So it is an uphill fight. Um, and, you know, we, we try and go through the very early on, we used to look at the, the parenting books and the, the teaching books and how do you teach someone to do right. this. And quite simply, with a kid like Adam, none of that actually works. Yeah. So what what we've had to do, and we're trying to teach him to read at the moment, so reading is about sight words. So mm-hmm. I can't I can't show Adam... Uh, a word and say this word T-H-E is the because that means nothing to him why is that that word right. you know what what's the reasoning behind that and why would he commit that to memory so it's been a really hard battle just to get sight words so funnily enough I um I decided late last year that we would start writing out um Springsteen lyrics because he knows those he knows them off by heart right so a pretty much any song. So we took the songs that he really likes and we write the lyrics out. And so when we write the lyrics out, I say to him, okay, so this is, we're going to write working on a dream. So this word is working on a dream. And you know that because you can sing that. Um, And now all of a sudden he can look at those words and he'll go, that's working on a dream. And, you know, it's not reading a book, but it's reading and it's the foundations of reading. Um, And we do that. Every day we write out um, his choice of lyrics from a song that he's been listening to because his favourite songs change daily. So we do lyrics out of a song that he likes and then we go back through it and we go, okay, so let's sing it and we sing it and then we look at the words and we go, okay, well, we know that these words have to be this because we just sang it. Right. Um, Slowly but surely, not only is his vocabulary building but his – identifying of sight words is building as well. And we've gone from having about 10 sight words that he knew to maybe a hundred and, and largely based off the fact that we, we apply this back to lyrics from Springsteen songs, which sounds so very out of the square, but it works. Well, and it, you know, you, you find uh, Dr. Phil, you know, he says, he says you find your kids currency and that's what you use. And exactly. and I think that's what you're doing. It is what he loves and enjoys. I did love the fact um, where um, you guys listed um, Adam's 20 favorite songs and he had a problem dropping it down to 20. Oh, right. gosh, he had a problem. <laughs> He felt very terrible because there was there was songs that just should have made that list, and and right. that was 
exactly what he said. There are songs that should be on this list, and it's really not fair to only pick 20. Um, and I said to him, yeah, but it's the spirit of what, what we, we're all, all doing this. Yes. Um, he has difficulty, and, and those 20 songs would be, with the exception of maybe five or six that are the mainstays for Adam, it would be a different list again today if we did sure. it. So, and, and I think that's true of all Springsteen fans. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I was the two guys who run the USA Today Dad Rock podcast were here in Dallas, Texas, and they said, name your three favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. And I said, <laughs> um, Better Days, because I believe the song, the purpose of that song is to tell you we should enjoy life's journey that too many times we're focused on when something good happens that's when we'll be happy instead of actually enjoying the journey um land of hope and dreams because i think that i've had um we've had our struggles as a family as well and that's one of the songs that i i kept as a positive way to remind myself and then um the third one changes every day yes. <laughs> and, and, and they said i think you're cheating a little bit and i said well you know the reality is those two immediately if you ask me name your two yeah. favorite bruce Springsteen songs i'd say better days land of open dreams and then you know uh, thunder road and you know and no oh, surrender a- and and you know then it goes on and on um what do you think uh, – first off, is there any other special memories or stories about Adam and and his experience with Bruce that you want to share? It, I see oh. he got a guitar, so you, tell me about some of those. So the guitar was um, – he still – he he can't play, um, but we encourage him to still pretend to play. Right. Um, and it, mind he's playing so we're happy with that um and and he's happy with that but eventually we would love to get to a point where he could actually learn that but at the moment obviously reading and writing and and all of those things takes precedence um so the guitar had to be as close as possible to the guitar that bruce uses in the hyde park concert because we have that dvd on daily so it would be a strange day for that to not be on. Right. Though um, so he needed a guitar that was similar, as close as we could. So we searched high and low until we could find one that was similar in colour. Um, and we gave it to him and he was very happy with it and told us how much he loved it. And then at the end of the day, he said, but it's still not Bruce's. And I said, well, it's not. But it was as, it was the best we could do. Yeah. Um, and it's as close as we could get. Um, so he plays to that every day. He has his guitar strap on and he stands and he plays and he can mimic down to every movement that Bruce makes on that DVD. Adam is in time with him. Um, so for us, that's a really positive memory retention skill that he has now. If he can remember that, he'll remember other things eventually too, I, if it takes interest. I think so too. And so, Jamie, I do you think before Adam found Bruce or Bruce's music found him, do you think he was happy? And do you think now Adam is happy because of this music? The mum in me wants to say that he was happy prior um, yes. because 
you you hate to think that your children aren't. Right. Um, the reality of that is that he used to sit in a corner and not communicate, not be able to communicate. Um, he he didn't have something that interested him. Right. Um, so as much as I want to say to you, yes, he was happy because that's going to make me feel better. Right. He he probably wasn't. Um, in fairness of the situation. Um, do I think he's happier now? I know he is. Um, and he tells us every day that, you know, and, and he will come home and, and pop on his headphones and listen to some music and he will come out and he's revitalised. Um, and he says to us every day that, you know, every day is the best day ever. And we took him this morning and he had to go and um, have an eye, eye test, um, just his annual eye test. And we found out that he needs glasses. And I was expecting I'm going to have to talk him through all of all of the things associated with this and yeah. get him to where he's comfortable with it. And instead, he just gave me a hug. He goes, this is the best day ever. And he says it every day. This is the best day ever. Um, and I, I know he's happier. He's he's engaged with life and i think that's the difference we we were on the track and the doctors who we were seeing at the time were very happy to give us a pill um which we've i appreciate is for some people but we've never gone down that track i've never really thought that that was what he needed i knew that what he needed was something that was his that yeah. that made him happy um and i knew that we could take a pill um and that 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 would alleviate the problems, but it wouldn't deal with the problems deep down. Right. Um, Adam, him having something that he could um, identify with that was his, that was an interest, I knew that was the key to him being able to be happy long-term, and it has been. And and we can only put that down to Bruce's music. Obviously, we have a very happy home, and we're very fortunate um, right. to have a home that's happy. Um, and that we can offer all of our kids positivity and right. opportunity and all of those things. So he's he's obviously in a very happy place, but the happiness that comes from within, it's actually coming from within him, and and that's the important thing because that's what's going to get him through his life. Yeah, that's um, that's so true. Um, so hate to ask, a lot of pressure, yeah. but. Um, Little brother and little sister, Springsteen fans. They are. Oh, um, that's awesome. That's okay. <laughs> good. Choice. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, by no choice. But yeah, that's awesome. I can't imagine that they would get out of it. Um, but yeah, they're an interesting, interesting assortment of music in this house. So our youngest, Caitlin, who's ten. We just introduced her to Etta James and Chuck Berry over the holidays, and she sat with her jaw hanging, and she just said, oh, my God, you guys were so lucky to grow up with this music. And mind you, it's, it's definitely well before my time, but yes, I, I exactly. appreciate where she was coming from. Right. Um, yeah, we um, – so that's the uh, – we've – our, our next son down, Liam, he's 11. Um, he's very much into Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Pearl Jam, um, but he's a drummer. So, you know, it's very drum-heavy music that he's right. into. But but a, a, a really cool assortment of music comes out of the house on any given day, and um, we're taking the kids to see Guns N' Roses um, this time next week. Oh, um, nice. So, but, so yeah, they're – 
we, my husband and I kind of looked at each other and went, well, we have to go. That's the music of our childhood. Right. And we were looking at the tickets and the, the, all three of the kids said, well, hang on. What about us? This is the music of our childhood too. And <laughs> I was kind of sitting here thinking they've not released any music lately, but, you know, the, the, yeah. the kids are but So we're taking them all. So we'll see how oh, that awesome. goes. Now, and spring's the following week. Yeah. And uh, do you guys already have tickets for Bruce? Well, um, my dad and I are going to take Adam uh, to the first concert, the okay. first show um so my dad has obviously been a fan since well before i was born um and this will be his first concert so we're we're really excited because it's three generations now of of springsteen wow tragics maybe because we're all it's all very much part of life for us um so we're three of us going together so it'll be three generations of us going to the first show and being my dad's first concert is going to be even more amazing because I, I I don't think you've seen live music until you've seen Springsteen. No. I, I, um, I was going to ask you, Jamie, how many times have you seen Bruce? Uh, so I actually saw um, saw him in 2003. It was about two weeks before my accident. Okay. Um, so he came and did Australia, New Zealand, and we saw him in Auckland. Um, and so I was pregnant with Adam at the time. Um, there and, you go. That's part of the yeah, reason, right? I, <laughs> So this will be my fourth concert. Very um, nice. So not as many as we'd like, but sure. You know, so he doesn't get too often either. A couple of questions, and I've kept you. I'm sorry, yeah. I've kept you so long, and I appreciate this. You mentioned there's a few core songs that Adam would are just his standards. Do you want to share what those are? Yeah. So. Hands down the top two are No Surrender and Bobby Jean. Um, they are the go-tos. Um, and outside of that, he has this unusual like for um, Outlaw Pete. Unusual because we get it every day, um, mm-hmm. every day played, but it can only be played off the DVD, so off the Hyde Park DVD. Okay. Uh, which I will just mention to you, we have already run out one dvd we ended up we wore it out wore it out um so we've already been through one so we're on to our second dvd of that one um and it has to be that particular song um and then he's a little bit funny definitely thunder road but it has to be off the 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 1975 to 85 album okay it has to be that one um and he's he's just got a couple of little quirks that we we listen to him and he'll say i like this song but i don't like it when it's on this album but i do like this version of it interesting there's about you know maybe 50 versions of thunder road and here's the one that Mm -hmm. that you stick with um so he's a bit of a a purist i guess because he um he likes the the acoustic, easygoing kind of music. Does he does he like the Outlaw Pete uh, book when he's uh, listening we, to it? Um, he's never actually. We tried to do that. We tried to do the book and the song together. Yeah. He's not interested because okay. if Bruce is on the screen, it's a hundred percent interest. Bruce. That makes sense. Um, but but we do do the book and we read the book to him, and he finds it quite amusing because. It's um, the, the illustrations up against what maybe his idea is in his head doesn't seem to – it seems to crack him up every single time. That's so I think funny. he 
a different idea in his head of how that song looks. Mm -hmm. And then to see the illustrations, he's kind of like, oh, okay, radio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have, uh, first off, is there songs you or your dad want to hear when you guys all go together? And how about Adam? So kind of um, three different ways. You know, because I usually ask, is there a wish list of few songs you hope to hear him perform live? Like, I've never heard Better Days. Um, I'm a big fan of the cover Jolie Blanc, which got the last time he was down in Australia. He did play that, and I was very jealous. So <laughs> how about you? Is there something, like, is your... Um, let me think. Well, the last the last concert we saw, the Brisbane concert uh, in 2014, we got the whole um, Wild album was played. Okay. So that that was awesome because we got Incident on 57th, which is probably my favourite song. Okay. Um, so I would love to hear that live again. Um, outside of that, um, probably No Surrender because that that was the starting point for, for us to have a breakthrough with Adam. So that song's really special to all of us because we know the significance of, of what that did in changing Adam's right. life. Um and then if I had a song just purely for me, it would have to be Thunder Road because that's my my hands-down favourite. Mm-hmm. Get caned in the car all the time whenever we're driving. <laughs> you know, uh, what's funny, and I've shared this, the, f- the first seven times I got to see Bruce live, I had not heard Thunder Road. It just oh, really? worked out. It wasn't. And then the next eight times, I've heard it every time. So, And I don't oh. get... I don't get tired, but it was everything. And um, the Rising is the one song he's played every show I've ever gone to. Um, okay. Which, yeah, I guess it's just because of when I do it. I didn't start seeing him until the Rising tour. Um, yeah. So, Jamie, how can someone reach you? And how is there anything you need for us to do? I know we have a campaign trying to let adam meet bruce right yeah yes so that at the moment is is probably the the main thing that we're doing um you know we appreciate that there must be thousands of people who want to meet bruce um for for various reasons um for us and and for adam because we've talked to adam about Prior to to doing any of it, any sharing of the story at all, we sat down and we said to him, is this okay? Is it okay if we talk about you and tell people your story and how Bruce has helped you? And his first reaction was no, um, and that's because he's had a solid almost 13 years of bullying and judgment. And uh, for him, putting himself out there any further was an absolute no go. Um, Absolutely. So when, when we when he said that to us, we ha- had to respect that. Um, and I said to him, I counted it with, if we tell people who we trust your story and we trust that they'll do the right thing with it, um, then does that make a difference? And he was happy with that. And we were so fortunate that the reporter from the Courier Mail, who we told his story to last week, she did such a beautiful job in putting it together. And she articulated the story so beautifully that, that we felt like, yes, that, that, that's the story. That's what we wanted people to know. Um, 
and what we've had since then has just been so totally overwhelming and unexpected and we have had people from countries that that they can't even write the message to us in English they're sending it to us uh, through a Google Translate and then sending us what they think is what they're trying to say to tell us how much Adam's story has moved them um, or to tell us how inspiring he is or to give him the message of keep going and and keep keep working um, and he sat down on Saturday Saturday night and I said to him, would you like me to read some of these messages? And he said, okay. And we kind of thought we'll give him a couple. And, and then as soon as we went to stop, he'd go, is there any more? And we'd say, yeah, there's heaps more. We ended up sitting for two hours and reading message after message to him. Mm. And by the end of it, he was almost in tears. He was thoroughly overwhelmed, but he had the biggest smile and we, we can only thank everybody who has sent those messages because that was the end result. And rather than being ostracised any more than he always has been, instead he's been embraced by the whole Bruce fan community who have given and, and bolstered him so much and and given him support that, that we never thought was possible. Um, so what's come off that is that there are some key people who are trying really hard to help us get to a point where we can meet Bruce. Um, and I said to Adam the other day, what do you want to do? If you could meet Bruce, what do you want to do? And he said, just give him a hug. And I said, well, maybe you have to shake hands instead. And he said, no, just a hug. Yeah, I I think Bruce is a hugger. I think he would hug Adam. I I think that's going to be okay. If that happens, I think he will. He's just said um, some of the the lyrics that he's writing out, which is just, it's schoolwork, really. Um, He said, maybe we could just put some of these and make it into a book and we can give that to him too. And then he knows, he knows that this is what what I do. And I said, okay, I'm pretty certain that that would be okay. So at the moment, we're just trying really hard to, to find out who are the people we talk to and how do we get to a point where this is even remotely possible? Um, Because I know this is the, the, for Adam, it's a thank you Mm -hmm. and an acknowledgement of, of what he's been given. Um, yeah. And he's worked really hard for it too, I might just add. It, it hasn't all been gifted. He's worked hard. For us, it's a it's a thank you to someone who's actually given Adam a voice, quite literally given him a voice, because if not for those early days of listening to the music and mimicking the sounds, we would not have communication with Adam, and that would be heartbreaking. Um, so I think what we need to do now is we're all sharing the story as much as we can, um, which is pinned to the top of Adam's Twitter page. Yes. Um, and we've been tagging in Frontier Touring, um, which is Michael Gadinsky's touring company who okay. brought him down. Mm. Yeah. So I think possibly that's the, the best method. Okay. Um, then again, I'm, I'm kind of new to this, so I'm not sure. Well, um, as I told you, we're going to – I'm going to get this out. I'm going to edit it um, and get this out. If not tomorrow, um, it's Tuesday night here in Dallas. If not Wednesday, I'll have it Thursday. Um, and I'm going to ask my listeners to retweet this as much as they can. Um, Jamie, what's your Twitter handle and what is Adam's Twitter handle? So Adam's is uh... – Adam meet the boss 
is his Twitter handle, and mine is Jamie underscore Brooker. But I usually tweet from Adams. Okay. So quite often he'll have a message that he wants me to or that he wants to say, so I'll always do that communication for him because he's yes. not at that level. Um, but a lot of the messages that come through Adams' Twitter are from Adam. Um and we uploaded a little video of him yesterday speaking for the first time. And wow. it took a lot of courage, but he's very much buoyed by the support that he has been given by the Bruce community. So he finally, for the first time, felt comfortable to talk to video. And it's just a very short video clip just talking about songs. Awesome. Um, so I'm going if we can do a few more of those in the next couple of days because it's really good practice for him and, mm. and it's a confidence booster. He's becoming a lot more confident in himself to be able to do that. Well, that's good. Well, tell Adam that Jesse from Texas is saying that um, he, is, he is a Bruce brother and mm. I have that same passion and obsession and um, I will tell you, my my 27-year-old son and my lovely bride will say, well, there's no difference. That's the first thing you do when you get home is turn on Bruce Springsteen. So, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. Um, thank you so much for spending time with me. Uh, this is – Thank this, you for having me. You know, it is uh, truly the the magic and and – you know, as you talk about it, you're we they say you're only as happy as your saddest child, right? Yes. And and you know, to think that because of this wonderful man that we all love and listen to his music, but you know, he gave your son a voice. Yeah. He brought joy to your son's life. That's that's pretty special. And I got to tell you, you're a pretty special mom. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to we'll, we'll have the links to Adam's story from the Courier Mail. I'll have the links for the Twitter handle and we are going to end with now on the streets tonight the lights grow dim. The walls of my room are closing in. There's a war outside still raging. You say it ain't ours anymore to win. I want to sleep beneath peaceful skies in my lover's bed with a wide open country in my eyes and these romantic dreams in my head. Once we made a promise, we swore we'd always remember. No retreat, baby, no surrender. Blood brothers in a stormy night with a vow to defend. No retreat, baby. No surrender. Perfect. Thank you, listeners. And thank you, Jamie. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.